so much, Ryan, and all of our worship team. I really appreciate what you do for us and leading us to this part of the message, this part of the service. Last Sunday, we began a series of sermons on our mission statement. Um, our elders and leadership worked together to develop this idea of where we, what we believe we are, who we are, and uh, what we ought to be doing as a church. This is our business. This is our vision, what we are. And somebody says, what is the Lexington Church of Christ? What do you do? Well, we help people. That's number one. We are here to help people. And in doing so, we help them find Jesus, and that's all about evangelism. That's the most important thing we do. We've got to help people come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. We have to reach people for Jesus, sharing our faith. So that was last week. And then today, we're going to be looking at helping people know Jesus. That's all about discipleship, spiritual formation, growing and maturing in our faith in Jesus Christ. Next week, we'll be looking at love Jesus, which is all about a lifestyle of worship, that everything that I do is worship unto the Lord. I'll never forget a little girl in our church uh, that she was just singing away in the car to some praise songs, and, and her dad said, why do you sing so loud to these? And her response was, because I think it makes God happy. That's the best definition of worship I've ever heard in my life. Whatever you do that makes God happy is worship unto him. And that's what we're going to be talking about, showing our love. And then helping people serve Jesus. Finding places in which you can use your gifts, your talents, your abilities in serving other people in the name of Jesus Christ. So today we have come to this one, helping people know Jesus. And I'd like for you to think for a moment, if I were to ask you to picture who would be a spiritual giant that you knew or still know in your life. Uh, one, we mentioned him. Claude Likens to me is a spiritual giant. Um, you, he, he just portrays Jesus in, in his life and everything that he does. He would be one of those. My father was one of those to me. Um, there's a lot of mentors I've had that would be that. There's ministers that I love to hear them preach. I get filled. I get edified. I grow in my faith listening to them preach. Then there's just been some great saints of God that I've known throughout my life that I believe I would call them giants in their faith. And you probably know many people. You're probably picturing some of those people that you would call spiritual giants in their walk with Jesus Christ. Unfortunately, we know that not everybody becomes a spiritual giant. Many people stay almost like infants in their spiritual walk. They never really take that next step and that next step to continue to grow in their faith and mature in their faith. Our key verse for today is found in 2 Peter. And uh, Peter said this in verse 318. He says, But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We are to mature. We are to grow in our faith. It is something that is expected of us, just as when we are born in our physical bodies, we grow naturally, and what a tragedy it is when one can't grow physically and mature, whether in body or in mind, 
And yet we don't see it as much of a tragedy when the Christian doesn't grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord. They stay as infants. We're much like those, um, uh, the church that Paul addressed in, in the book of uh, Hebrews when he said to them uh, in chapter 5, verse 12, In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. They, they had not grown. He said, by this point, you should be, you know, eating solid food in your faith. You ought to be teaching, and yet you're not. You still need to be taught. You need milk. You're infants. And so many of us, unfortunately, are the same way. We have not grown and matured in our faith in Jesus Christ. We have not taken the fact, uh, to our fact in our life, this verse. Grow in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. That's what we need to do. And so how can we do this? How can we grow in the grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? And if you want to follow along, I've got an outline there in your bulletin, and the, it'll be on the screen as well. Let's look together at some ways that we not only can grow ourselves, but how we can help people grow in knowing Jesus. How can we do that? How can we help people mature? How can we help people know Jesus Christ? Well, the first is this. You cannot give what you don't have. You can't give what you don't have. You know, years ago, um, you've probably seen it. You've probably seen it many times. Uh, Kurt Cameron did the, several of the movies that were Christian movies. He did the one on Fireproof, and it was about him and, you know, his marriage and how, you know, his marriage was falling apart. And through the entire movie, he's the one who's kind of, screwed up and messed up but he's blaming everything you know on his wife and how she doesn't appreciate him and she doesn't serve his needs or meet his needs and so he's always complaining about it and always upset about it and uh, toward the end of that movie uh, his mother and father come to visit him in this story and his dad takes him out for a walk and he begins to share with his dad the whole time he's complaining about his wife she doesn't do this for me she she doesn't meet my needs. And he's really trying his best to convince his father of justifying why he should leave his wife. And his dad continues to just tell him about the love of Jesus Christ and how he needs Jesus in his life. And toward the end of that little visit uh, with his dad, that walk, this Caleb is the character's name, says, Dad, I'm not interested in the love that Jesus has for me. I'm trying to tell you about my marriage. And his dad says something. Son, you can't give what you don't have. And that's the scene where they find themselves at a cross and Caleb kneels down and asks the Lord to forgive him and everything changes from that point. You can't give what you don't have. You know, as I look around this room, most of us are the same. We grew up in a church home. Very few in this room this morning did not grow up in a home where church was important. You probably went to Sunday school. You probably 
Every week, your parents brought you, you went to Sunday school, you went to vacation Bible school every year. That was something you looked forward to. Maybe you went to a children's camp. Then you got older and you got into the youth fellowship. And so you went to the youth all the time, maybe to youth camp or like the kids are going this week to this kind of convention. You went to those things and, and you grew in your faith in these things. You began to learn more about Jesus Christ, about his word, about his love and his grace for you. And unfortunately, that's where it stopped. I would say that most Christians today are still living on what they learned when they were kids, and they've never grown anymore in their spiritual walk since. Now, don't get me wrong. Those things are vitally, vitally important. It's the foundation upon which you build. It's, it's what you need to grow, for, go, grow more and go further in your walk with Jesus Christ. You need that. Our kids need that. It ought to be a priority. There will be some times, like during vacation Bible school, I'm going to cover up all of these things that say people, and it's going to say kids. We're here to help kids find Jesus and know Jesus and love Jesus and serve Jesus. That's important. It ought to be a priority of our lives to help children learn those things. But it cannot stop there. We have to continue to grow in our faith. Peter Scarsgo wrote a book called um, The Emotionally Healthy Church. It's one of my favorite books because it is just plain truth. I mean, he lays it out. Of You want to know why your church is having this problem? It's this reason. And it's usually we compromised somewhere or we're not doing what we're supposed to be doing. And so that's why we're in this problem. And then he begins to say, share things about how we can fix those. Well, in this book, he, had, he did a survey. And in this survey, it was church people. It was people who show up and sit in the pew every Sunday. It wasn't just people out on the street. It wasn't people that said, I'm a Christian, I'm a believer. It's people that walk in and they sit where you're sitting today. It's us. And he said, as we did this survey of their spiritual age, where are they in their maturity, in their walk with Jesus Christ? How mature are they? He said, we found in this survey that the majority of people who come and sit in the pews on Sunday, that if you compared their spiritual age to their physical age, they're about a 10-year-old child. What about us? What if that survey had been done here? What if we were tested on where we were in our spiritual age, in our spiritual maturity? Unfortunately, some may not even make it to 10. Now, yes, there are some spiritual giants. There would be some who are in their hundreds, maybe. You'll have to answer that question. You'll have to decide where you are. What about us? What about you personally? Where would we be in our spiritual age? So you can't give what you can't have. If you want to help people know Jesus, then you've got to know Jesus. You want to help people grow in their faith and mature in their walk with Jesus Christ, then you have to be growing and maturing in your walk with Jesus Christ. You can't give what you don't have. Well, secondly... There are two ways that we teach. 
It's all about knowing, so we need to teach. We're going to help people grow. We're going to teach them how to mature in Jesus Christ. So we're going to teach. Well, there are two ways that we teach. First, you know this. Everything teaches, right? Everything teaches. Um, when I was working on my doctorate, my, my studies are actually on how we learn and how we uh, grow in, in Jesus. It was on Moses and, and how Moses actually went to four different schools. His first school was he was in a Hebrew home. You remember after he was taken from the Nile, um, his sister went to the, the queen of Egypt and she said, would you like me to take him back to a Hebrew woman where he can be nursed and cared for? And so he went right back to his very home and his mother cared for him. You can't tell me that she did not teach him about God. Of course she did. She taught him about the one true God. He learned in the home that was his first school. Then he went to the palace where he had the best schools in all of the world to learn academia. Then he went out into a field to become a shepherd. He didn't know anything about being a shepherd, so he had to be mentored. And so he had a mentor teaching him and learning. And then finally, it's that verse from Exodus where it says, And Moses spoke to the Lord as a friend speaks to a friend. He was in the school of God, the school of the Spirit. So when I was doing those studies, one of my uh, big things that I really took a lot of interest in was how people learn. Because I know I learn differently than any person in this room, and every person in this room learns differently than everybody else. We all learn differently. Those educators that are in this room, they've probably had to go through seminars and seminars and seminars, those professional development days, right, of learning how students learn, figuring out how they can get in their mind what you're trying to teach them and we all learn differently but everything teaches everything not just what I'm putting on the board or on a slide or what's in a book but even louder what my actions do teaches lessons now those of you who've ever had small children in your home know this very well some of you still do you have those kids at home they're watching every move you make. You know, you can't go tell your kid, hey, you got to brush your teeth every night before you go to bed, and they never see you do it. Because then they won't. Or you got to clean your plate. They're not going to do it. Take your plates to the kitchen when you're done. They don't see you doing it. They're not going to do it. Why? Because you're teaching them a lesson with your actions. That's just part of life. It's, we've known that. And those of you who don't have children at home now, you, you knew it when you did have. And you probably see it in your grandkids now. or You just know this. Well, the same is true in home. It's in, it's in your jobs. The same is true at work. Uh, when I was working at the music store, there was a man that he probably just selling musical instruments makes about a quarter of a million dollars a year. He was the gold standard by which all of us tried to model after. And then you realize very quickly, if I do that, it's going to take a lot. He, he came to, when we were being trained, he came into our training one day, and the entire time he's doing this. Because he didn't want to give up his time training us when he could be on his phone selling stuff. He wouldn't even take a lunch break. He ate his lunch while he was selling stuff. Well, it paid off for him. You know, he was teaching a lesson. You want to, you want to make 250 thousand a year well let me show you how to do it you know there were other guys that barely survived because you'd see them taking four-hour lunches and 
you know, you'd walk by their desk and they're playing solitaire or watching a video, you know, and, and they'd go down to our local music store there on, on campus and play guitar for an hour or so, and they called it stress relief, you know, and okay, what's, what's your stress? I just don't have any money. Okay, you, you know, I mean, it, but those lessons teach. What you're doing, teach. And, and, and let me break this down in two different ways. I believe there are formal lessons. Formal lessons are anything that is planned. Okay? We have a lot of formal lessons here at church. Our formal lessons would be um, our, our Sunday school, the curriculum that we get, and, and the books that we use in Sunday school. That's a formal lesson. Uh, the stuff that Josh gets for our children, for the students, those are formal lessons. Bible studies, even sermons. These are all things that we've planned and, you know, prayed about, led by the Spirit that we feel this is important to teach. Our small group ministries, even lyrics in the songs that we sing, are formal lessons that we teach. And those are important. Those are things we've seen as priorities in our church that we need to be teaching. Then there are the informal lessons that we teach and that's everything else all the unplanned informal lessons um we prayed for claude a little bit earlier um one of the things that i absolutely love to hear i hear it at least once a week sometimes more than that is you complimenting and bragging on my mother-in-law um i have heard evelyn's name mentioned so many times and it's almost as if Evelyn Likens was the gold standard by which pastors' wives are compared to. She was just perfect. You know, she was just, and she's not. She was not a perfect woman. She'd tell you that. But you saw her as she's what a pastor's wife ought to be. Well, she did more than that. She even taught two of her daughters how to be that. And today, my bride and I, for 29 years, Happy anniversary. There's no way I could pastor without her. She's the greatest support I could ever ask for. To me, she's the perfect pastor's wife. And so, I'm a lucky man. I'm a blessed man. Amen. <laughs> Debbie Burchett, you owe her a little. No, I'm just kidding. Evelyn Likens never had to tell me that she loved her family. And if you walked into her home, she would never have to tell you that. The, the last place that she lived, they had a home that had like a living room that had a vaulted ceiling in it. And as high as she could put it, she put a picture of her parents and a picture of Claude's parents. And then right under that was her and Claude. And then their children... And then grandchildren from each of those families, and even great-grandchildren. And then somebody, because she was always saying, I'm like a mother hen. And when I look at that wall, I just cluck. And somebody even bought her a picture of a hen, and she hung that up there. <laughs> Nobody had to tell me that she loved her family. You walked in to her home, you knew immediately, this woman loves her family. I could walk into your homes and tell you within about 10 minutes what you love, what's important to you, what you're passionate about. Because it's what we do. 
I, I know we shared this, and so some of you don't know why we made this change, but we made a change like that in our church worship ministry because we believed that an informal lesson that we were teaching was that prayer was not really that important to us. I know you think, no, it's very important to us. We spend a great deal of time in prayer, and we do. But it also was a time for our worship team to come up to the platform or exit the platform. And you know, a visitor who walks off the street who's never been in a church would have thought, well, the only reason they pray is so their worship team can get up and down. No. Prayer's too important. It's an informal lesson that we're teaching. And so now you see our worship team comes up before we pray, and then I call them up at the end because I, we don't want to be distracting during prayer. And it also allows them to have a time in prayer. They can be a part of it. They're not worried about, and I just know, Jim, I always worried being a drummer, moving during prayer, that I was going to get up here, and as soon as, you know, and the Lord said, you know, and I was going to trip over the drums, you know, and amen, you know, I, you know, I just knew it was going to happen one day. That was an informal lesson that we decided. No, the informal lesson we teach now is that prayer is too important to move. We're going to pray. We teach informal lessons all the time. It's everything we do. So I have a challenge for you. I'd like for all of you to take this challenge. I'd like for you to start watching in our church. Make a list. What are some, some informal and formal lessons that you see us teach? What are some things that you see us do as a church that maybe leadership or some of us overlook from time to time? What are some things? Now, some of the, I want to see the good. You know, I think that any person that walks in is going to realize very quickly that we are a loving congregation. We like to laugh. We like to smile, put out a hand and shake a hand. Well, no, we don't like shaking. We hug. You know, that's who we are. We, we love each other, and they can tell. If you're not a people person, you're probably not going to be real happy at this church. You know, it's just the way it is. I think that's a great informal lesson that we teach. So write the good things down. But also, if you see something you think, man, that, that's not a real good lesson that we're teaching, write it down. We can't change it if we don't know. So let's, I'm challenging you. Write some of those things down so that we'll know exactly what the formal and informal lessons are that we are teaching in this church. You can't give what you don't have. You can't help people know Jesus if you don't know Jesus. You can't help them grow if you're not growing. Know that everything that we do is teaching people on how they know Jesus. So we've got to be very formal about what we teach, but we also need to know that all these other things teach as well. And then lastly, let me just give you some things that we must do. Here's the practical side. What must we do? First and foremost, we've got to be exposed to the Word. Exposed to the Word. As I look back in, in my life, there, there was a season of my life that I don't think, in, previous to that, I had ever been that close to the Lord. And really since that time, I've always desired to get back to that place. And when I look at that and I say, well, what was different then um, than now? And that was when I was working at a Christian bookstore. That didn't have anything to do with it. i tell you what, what it was, is that every day, whatever meal that I 
uh, work doing. I, sometimes I'd close, so I'd be there at the, it was a mall, I'd be at the mall during dinner time, is that when I went out into the food court to eat, um, one, I chose not to eat. I fasted. Do you know how hard it is to fast in a mall food court? Man, alive, that was tough. And I was fasting those meals. And, and fast, of course, is not just a sacrifice. A fast is when you replace that time with time with the Lord. And so I read my Bible. And um, I mean, in a short season, I think I'd gone through the Bible at least once, maybe a second time. And when I look back at that season of my life, I felt closer to the Lord than I'd ever felt in my lifetime. I was exposed to the Word. You have to be exposed to the Word. You've got to get in the Word of God. I remember visiting a lady in my church. At, at that time, we, going back a little bit, our church sold uh, the Bible on cassette. A cassette is a... No, okay. So... <laughs> And this lady, she was in her 90s, and she had this notebook. And I went to visit her, and she said, i got to show you what I'm doing. And this notebook was already as a spiral-bound notebook. She printed very small, and just the pages were covered. Think about this now, especially in the Old Testament. She said, when I'm listening to that cassette, I read along in my Bible, and when I come across the word that I can't pronounce, I stop and listen to it over and over and over and I write it out until I can pronounce that word and I looked at her notebook I'm like wow it's about half full and then she pulled out the other three that she had already filled I don't even know who the lady was I I, I was going to ask my father-in-law about it maybe you'll know who it is when I mention this uh, there was a lady in this church that Claude said every time he would get up to preach, when he would get ready to read his scripture, she was already mouthing it from memory. We've got to be exposed to the Lord of God. You know, when Peter said, uh, grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord, this is that knowledge part. You've got to know. You've got to know. You've got to learn about who Jesus is, who God is, what the Spirit of God can do in your life. You've got to learn. You've got to know it. You've got to be exposed to the Word of God. The second thing you've got to do is you've got to accept it. That's the grace part. You can't just grow in the knowledge. You've got to grow in the grace as well. You know, there's a lot of people in the world today, that, in the Christian world today, that have really grown in their knowledge of the Bible and of God, and yet they, they have no clue how to forgive others or show grace of Jesus. They know Jesus, they know all about Jesus, but they don't really know Jesus. And so you, you can't just know, you can't just be exposed to it. You've got to go further, you've got to grow in the grace of it too, which is accepting it. I heard this quote one time, somebody said, um, not growing in the grace of Jesus Christ is like a man dying of thirst and dehydration who's laying on the banks of a river. There's enough water there to drown him. But unless he ever goes and partakes of it, he'll never survive. That's the grace of our Lord. We are surrounded by his grace. But unless we accept it, it does us no good. We have to accept the grace of Jesus Christ. We have to be exposed to the word. But now that you know it, you've got a choice to make. You have to accept that grace. And so we've got 
to be exposed, read your word, be in the word, but also accept it. And the last thing you got to do is be committed to it. We live in a society today where commitment is not in the vocabulary of most people. If you don't like your job, walk out. Um, students are leaving schools. I actually, I had a student come to my classroom. This was just this past year. Come to my classroom. He wanted to preach a chapel service. Probably not the best kid to have preached a chapel service. Just say it that way. And so the person who made that decision, it wasn't me, said no. No, I don't think that you're ready to do that. He came to my classroom because I'm quitting, I'm done, I'm leaving, I hate this place. That's the society we live in. You don't like the person you're in a relationship with? So long. Commitment is not in our vocabulary. Just walk out. Just leave. And that is filtered into the church. I don't like what they're doing, or I don't like what was said. I didn't like that song. Preacher stepped on my toes. No, I did not. The Holy Spirit stepped on your toes. I am just the messenger. And believe me, there are many times when I'm writing a sermon that my toes are being stepped on first. I'll never forget walking into my dad's office one time just to talk to him. And I, I stood there in awe because he was on his knees, elbows in his chair, praying. So I just looked at him for a little bit, and then I left. Later, I, I talked to him, and I said, well, I saw you praying, Dad. I didn't want to interrupt you. He said, no, no, I wasn't praying. My toes were getting stepped on hard. I realized, boy, I better get on my knees. But I was offended, so I'm gone. Boy, we do like that word. We don't like commitment, but we like offend, right? I didn't, I didn't leave my job because I wasn't committed. I was offended there, and we're accepting of that. Well, you ought to be committed in more ways than one, maybe. I don't know. We need commitment in our lives. We are living in an age that it's just not a part of life. We have got to become committed to what we have known and learned and accepted and growing in the grace and knowledge of our Jesus Christ. We've got to be committed to it. It's got, we've got to have some loyalty to it. We're never going to grow in our faith and help others know Jesus and grow in their faith if we're not committed. If we're not committed, we've got to be exposed to the word so we hear it, we know it, we learn it. Then we've got to accept that word and then we've got to commit to that word do what it says to do wasn't it James that said don't just be hearers of the word but be doers do what it says you can't give what you don't have you can't help somebody know Jesus and grow in their faith and knowledge of the Lord if you're not if you're a 10 year old you're going to make a lot of other 10 year old disciples let's get some maturity then we can help others grow in their faith. We teach in two ways. We, we teach formal lessons. We teach informal lessons. Write some of those things down. I'd be interesting to, interested to see what you come up with. And these are things we must do. We've got to be exposed to the Word. 
We've got to accept what the Word says, and we've got to be committed and do what it says. I've heard this story told many different ways. Uh, when the first, I, I know this part of it's factual, other parts get kind of twisted a little bit. But when the first suspension bridge was ever built across Niagara Falls, they wondered how they could get the line started to go across. And it was a kite. That's how they got the first line. A kite took a very small, almost thick thread, uh, lightweight string, and the kite flew across Niagara. And when it got to the other side, then they tied a thicker string to that and pulled it back, a little thicker, and then pulled it back, and eventually got to the place where they had a rope, pulled it back, and eventually they got to a steel cable, got that to a bigger steel cable. And they kept going back and forth till they finally got a big enough steel cable that now they could go out on it and have safe, uh, safety while building this bridge. That is exactly what our faith is like in Jesus Christ. So many of us are still hanging on a thread. Oh, we, we got the thread there. We, we've attached ourselves to Jesus Christ, but boy, we're just hanging on by a thread. Others have grown enough where, you know, we've gone back and forth in our relationship with the Lord that maybe you've even got a rope. But how many of you would say, I'm at the end of my rope? Man, it's time that we ought to get the strongest steel cable that you could ever have where you're safe, covered by Jesus Christ and your relationship with him that is so strong that that bind, uh, can't bound, cannot be broken. It is so strong, you cannot break it. That only happens as we mature in our faith with Jesus Christ, as we grow in the grace and knowledge. And if we're going to help others grow in their grace and knowledge, we've got to grow in our grace and knowledge. And just in case that's not enough proof, it's even what our Lord did. In Luke 2.52, this was said about Jesus. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Well, now naturally he's going to grow because he became a baby and infant. He's going to grow. So obviously in stature, he's going to grow. But when you really search that scripture, what it really means, it's, it doesn't even think about physical growth. That Jesus grew in wisdom. He grew in knowing who his father was, what his father's plan was. And then he grew in stature. And really, that means more like good rapport. That when people looked at Jesus, they admired him. They said, that's what I want to be like. Because he grew in stature and good rapport with other men, other people that he came in contact with. And then it says, even grew in favor with God. He matured in his faith as he grew. If our Lord did it, should we not be striving every single day that when we lay our heads on our bed at night to say, I'm stronger today in my walk with Jesus. I am more mature in my faith today than I was last night at this time. I'm going to ask the worship team. They're going to come on forward. They're going to lead us in a closing song. We're going to have an elder and, and spouse to be up here, and my wife and I will be up here as well. 
Because we believe prayer is a real priority of our church. And we believe that we ought to be praying. I believe it is important for us to... Amen! I should have known. (laughs) We have got to be a church that helps people find Jesus. We ought to be looking for people. There's prospect lists still back there if you didn't get one last week. And we got to be a church that helps people know Jesus, grow in their faith, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Stand with me. I want to pray, and then if you want to spend some time in personal prayer time, you come. We'll join in prayer time together. Lord Jesus, I just want to ask that you would challenge every one of us to grow in our knowledge, grow in our grace of Jesus Christ, that we would mature in our faith. How tragic it is when we see a child that never matures, whether that be physically or mentally, and yet how much more tragic it is when a believer never grows spiritually in their faith. Lord, help us to be challenged today, to grow, to be more like you. And then, Lord, as we're growing, we can help others grow in their faith and know you. Not just know you, know about you, but to know you in relationship with you. So, Lord, challenge us with that. Lord, if there are those who just want to come and spend some time in prayer, we want to pray with them. We want to share that time together and that personal prayer time today. So, Lord, you let your spirit move, and we'll just be obedient. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.